Welcome to the Resilience Rising podcast with me, your host, Jen Scottney. With the help of my guests, we will be getting curious about what resilience is, how we develop it, and the times we've used it. This podcast is here to explore all things resilience. Today, my guest is Zane McCormick. Zane is a resilience coach, speaker and founder of The Assured Man. His mission is to help professional men and individuals avoid and beat burnout. Zane is a former police officer. He was part of a search and rescue police team in his area, which was dedicated to finding missing people, often people in mental health crisis, when he had a mental health crisis himself. He left the police after 16 years due to this burnout from stress, but he has used his experiences to help others by starting his own coaching practice around resilience. Welcome to the podcast, Zane. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Absolutely welcome. And um, yeah, so <laughs> resilience, this is clearly something that you've worked with and think about a lot. And what is it that you're thinking of when we talk about resilience? Yeah, when I, when I hear the word resilience, I almost get a little bit of a cringe, really, um, because it just seems to be one of those buzzwords that gets thrown out quite a lot at the moment. Um, and I think, for me, resilience is all about just developing your own personal sort of resilience. It's not about anything that anyone can give you. It's not about anything that any organisation sort of owes you. Um, it's really about sort of understanding who you are, how, how, how you work, and, 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 and what you understand your limits to be. Um, sort of words that get sort of thrown around a lot and it's, I still don't think there's a lot of understanding about what it, what it really sort of what it really means and what it, what it really encompasses. I'd agree with that I mean I've started a whole podcast about it because yeah. I feel the same but like when from your experiences that I touched on there in the intro like is that where you're did you feel like you had to learn the hard way about what resilience is or did you already have an idea um, that hasn't changed? Yeah, I mean, I had a little bit of an idea. I mean, my background is I didn't join the police until I was 31. Um, I came to the UK from New Zealand um, when I was 24. So I came out, as most young Kiwis do, sort of travelling a bit. Had a pair of rugby boots in my bag. So I you know, played a bit of rugby, coached a bit of rugby. Um, and then I sort of met the mother of my children, um, got married, looked like I was going to stay. So it was only when I realised I needed a proper job that, um, that I looked at the police. But what I had, what I had was... a uh, sort of a background with, with, with the rugby and, you know, with any sort of, um, you know, sport, especially combative sports, sort of like, you know, like rugby, like boxing, uh, football, anything, anywhere there's a lot of sort of confrontation and sort of, you know, a lot of high levels of fitness required. You know, you, you've got to have a, a, a degree of resilience in, in, in your team and in, in yourself. Um, so there's always been um, an interest of mine. Uh, and then obviously policing. So I was there for 16 years. Um, I only left last September. And that sort of brings a whole other sort of dimension to it. It's not so much the, um, the physical, but it's just dealing with um, with the relentlessness of it, um, and making sure that you've got all your all your, all your basics in place first, so that you, you can cope with it. And and I and I talk about policing because it's what I know. But you know, it's 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 not at all sort of uh, any, policing doesn't hold the, um, the the mortgage on it or sort of um, with it. I mean, every industry out there that requires you know a little have a little bit about yourself. Um, you need a degree of personal resilience. I mean, you come from a law background yourself, so you understand the pressures that, you know, the, the, the lawyers have out there with, with everything that's going on as well. So it's, um, yeah, and, and it's, and I say, and with, with the policing comes into it, um, 
for most of my career, I was frontline, like you touched on. But one of my roles within the police was working um, as a lost person search manager, which meant I was responsible for coordinating, you know, sort of you know, all the large, you know, all the search and rescue operations across sort of the southwest where, where I was policing down in Devon and Cornwall. Um, and what that did, because it gave me a real insight um, into what can happen when things go particularly wrong, when sort of um, stress and burnout isn't particularly well managed, or your, your levels of resilience is out there. Um, I mean, a, a big part of what we did was it wasn't so much what we're looking for people, it's also understanding why people have gone missing in the first place. Um, so your, your traditional sort of search and rescues so of hill walkers have gone missing traditionally want to be found. Um, you know, so you, you, you structure your search around that. But more often than not, we were looking for people that didn't want to be found. You know, they were deliberately sort of put themselves at risk for, for whatever reason. So you had to have a real understanding about what happened with that. And and then, like you say, you touched on, I had an issue myself, sort of, um, you know, just over three years ago, I, I burnt out myself. And it wasn't being a little bit exhausted. I had a um, a physical episode where I, where I collapsed. And for the first sort of three or four months afterwards, I didn't really know what, what had happened. Um, you know, a few things were sort of, you know, a few, you know, PTSD and CPTSD and all these phrases were sort of thrown around and there's a bit of a ad hoc sort of approach to sort of getting, getting me back to back to work. But it wasn't at all, I sat down with someone and, you know, a, a, um, a therapist that was fortunately, um, you know, sort of, you know, supplied through, you know, through the police that burnout was identified. And once that was identified, everything else fell into place. Um, you, know, I, you know, we started looking into what, what, what had gone on all the events leading up to it. And it turned out I'd been a walking cliche. Um, <laughs> yeah. And this, and this is, and this is it. All the same, all, all the signs and symptoms are there. You know, there's been a slow burn. Burnout doesn't happen overnight. It's not a couple of tough weeks at work. It's not sort of, you know, sort of, you know, something one, one thing happening. It's the culmination of just poorly managed stress and um, under and, and, and resilience not being, being, being attended to. So all and it's and it's a real slow burn. All you know, and all the symptoms slowly build up, slowly build up, and you're almost like the um the boiling frog. You're there, you know, as everything ramps up, things step up, but it becomes your new normal. So you don't think of anything, anything wrong with it, and you can and all the symptoms are easily dismissed. I mean, I I was there, um, you know, I was, I was working shift work, I had a young family, so you've got all the you know, all the irritability, the um the brain fog, the not being able to concentrate, you know, sort of. Been all over the place, you know, issues with with, with my with my gut health and with my skin, um, weight gain, and 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 you, and you you write it off, you know, you you weight gain, you know, I'm not I'm not I wasn't 25 anymore, I wasn't anywhere near as active, I was working shifts, my diet probably wasn't what it was, so you, you write all these things off, you don't for a minute think it could be to do with all the cortisone that every day you're waking up and and, and being flooded with, you know, and and the issues with 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 my, with my stomach, the stress, you think, well, I work a stressful job, like. You know, I work with difficult people and I've got to be every day you're going in and it can be a little bit combative. I mean, that's that's stressful. And like I say, that's not something that's unique to policing. I mean, any any role where you're having to sort of go out there and sort of, you know, argue and sort of fight fight your corner like 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 law, like like health, um, you know, any, anything like that, you, it's, it takes its toll. And it's just understanding that they, these things do take their toll. Yeah, and obviously, like, there's so much that I can resonate with as a lawyer and my own burnout as well, which is why I left law. I mean, I suppose one thing, although there were times when it felt 
um, that there was a lot of conflict in my job. It was mostly, well, sometimes that was kind of by, you know, written submissions and things. And it, it didn't always feel like I was on the front line in the sense that the police are, and I guess also maybe with the trauma and kind of other frontline services, ambulance, fire. What was in place with the police service to help you deal with that trauma, that conflict day to day? Yeah, there are reasonable um, things in place for it. Um, but I think what needs to happen for those to be effective is you need to have an understanding of it yourself. So it's all very well and good sort of coming along. And, you know, we, we did have sort of post-traumatic sort of um, debriefs and there was, there was an awareness of what was going on with it. But without that personal awareness of what's going on, and and it's not, and the, the big point I make as well is, you know, people talk about burnout as an occupational issue. And I would say that, Everything can be fine at work. You can be going along, dealing with the stress you deal with, you know, with the, with the roles we do, and that's fine. But all it takes is something outside of your professional life to tip you over. Because when, you, when one thing I talk about with them with, within my coaching is the idea of you've got sort of um three faces. You've got your professional face, you've got your social face, and you've got your your personal face. So what we talk about is each of those. It's not. It's, it's not reasonable to expect all three of those to be supplying you with, with the rest and with the, with, with the energy that you need. What you do need is for one of them to be supplying that. So if you're at work with a lot of stress and you're going home and your social relationships are shot to pieces, you're not spending time with your friends anymore because of everything that's going on, and then you're going home to your, to, to your home where you should you should realistically be able to feel safe and you're not because of issues within your own personal relationship, within, within your marriage, within issues with your know, immediate family. If every time you're moving from place to place to place and there's no safe space for you to rest to recover to to get the proper rest that you need all that's happening is your your, your fuel has been depleted and you, you and I, I liken it to um to a vehicle you know if you if you're planning a you know a thousand mile journey you need to make sure you've got your fuel stops in place and you need to make sure that you're not putting your foot down and your fuel consumption is you know going through the and you're not and you don't make it to the next next fuel stop you need to be conserving that energy and it's just about making sure that for every all the energy that's going out, you've got deliberate things in place to make sure that you that you are recharging and you're refueling. And you said that there were some kind of obvious signs looking back. What sort of things were there for you? Yeah, the big thing for me was um, I think it's the um, emotional deregulation. It's it's tough because you know with, with with policing and again with you know if you're any sort of professional forward-facing role you need to be on 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 your game you know there's no there's no margin for turning up and, and, and getting things wrong you got the ball when you're dealing with people in crisis and, and, and the vulnerability that we deal with because contrary to belief popular belief policing is not about racing around and driving fast and and grabbing people and the rest of it that's the, the stuff you on the tally that's probably 10 15 percent of what we actually do a lot of it is managing risk and making sure that you're on you know and, and everything's getting done all the all the you know the T's have been crossed and the I's have been dotted, and that you know no, nothing's falling over. So what you do find is that that gets difficult. Um, so and when you when you're turning up the jobs, you, you, you know, fortunately for me, nothing ever fell over professionally. I was able to keep keep that lid on that. But what it did mean was everything else around it was was falling over. So personal relationships, how I was looking after myself, you know, excuses I was making in regards to. Just, just, you know, just, just personal issues and, and, and the rest of it. So 
that would be the, the big thing. But the other thing is there's some real obvious physical signs as well. And I spoke about the weight gain. I spoke about the, um, you know, the, the poor gut health. And it was interesting because the one thing that happened when everything tipped over, all of a sudden I was sent home and told not to come back. You know, within a week, everything had changed. My skin had cleared up. Um, my stomach, I didn't, you know, that, that, that twisting knot, I didn't have that. That was a, and probably for the first time in eight years. I'd gone a couple of days without feeling sort of um, stress, without feeling the, um, and you know, I was, was about a week away from making an appointment to go and check to make sure I didn't have any, um, didn't have ulcers. I was getting that concerned about how, how things were. Um, everything just, just cleared up. And those symptoms that you described, had they just been building so gradually that you hadn't spotted them? Because that's definitely how it felt for me. <laughs> yeah, no, that's it. And, and, and you know, we talked about, you know, the boiling frog analogy, the, the new normal. And, and it's like, as you get on, and, and again, it's when you're, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're in your 20s, you're bulletproof. You know, you're running around, you, you do it, you're having all the fun, you haven't got the responsibilities. You get to 30, things start sort of, you know, you're getting tied down a bit more with, you know, a few of the commitments you've made. You start moving on with your career. You know, you, all of a sudden you're responsible for a few more things than you were. And all the things that start happening to you, you just, you just write off as just inevitable, but they're not. And, you know, there's no reason why we can't be as we were in our 20s when we were in our 30s or 40s. And, you know, like me, I'm, I'm pushing into my, nearly, nearly into my 50s now. So there's just that realisation as well that, that these, these, that how you're feeling isn't normal. And, that, and, and you're rationalised. Like I said, I, I spoke about, you know, all, all the night shifts I was doing, all the, all the shift work I was doing, all the coffee I was drinking. And that's how I explained my, 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 my stomach issues, you know. Um, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I was definitely in a cycle. I suppose one of the red flags for me was just insomnia. But then, of course, I was feeling tired the next day. Of course, I was eating the wrong things and drinking too much coffee. But it was all down to the insomnia rather than the insomnia was a symptom of something else. And it was only when I went away and I think I just slept for eight hours and felt refreshed. I was like, I haven't done this for six years. (laughs) Not slept for a night. (laughs) Massive thing for me when I... um... You know, I had, I had a point after I collapsed, I ended up, you know, I slept and I couldn't believe it. I was, you know, 12, 14 hours and my body just said stop. I mean, and, and I mean, for me, it was, um, I don't know, it was, it was quite a dramatic sort of um, halt as well. I was on my way to work, pulled over, take a phone call. So I'd pulled over into a lay-by, um, took a phone call, spoke to a friend. And the, the mad thing is that I talk about is that half an hour and literally half an hour before this happened, I had been asked, how are you? Is everything Okay. Um, and I said, I'm fine. And I generally thought I was. I mean, I was, I was you know, the issues I had personally, I, I, I was through a divorce. It was, you know, divorce is never pleasant. Um, but I was through all that. Everything had been finalised. Um, I was in my new place, um, new relationship. Um, work was fine. And, and I, the thing with work, I mean, I'd still managed to, to maintain, a, to work full time. I hadn't taken any time off. I was still working shifts. I'd applied for and got some quite reasonable jobs, including the one with, you know, the, the, the with the rescue teams, um, I'd managed to get myself onto an initial firearms course, so I'd gone through the, the, the process for that. Um, and that's when it caught up with me, though. The, the obviously, as you'd expect, the initial firearms course to, you know, to be a firearms officer in the UK is it's a, it's a pretty demanding course. There's about a, I think it's a 60 70 percent failure rate on it, and unsurprisingly, I, I didn't get through. There was a, a particularly demanding part where with, with building searches where you need to be on it and you need to be sort of picking up stuff straight away and being able to do stuff. And I just couldn't, and and was quite surprised. It was fed back to me. They were, they were quite surprised at just how you know things weren't 
clicking as fast as it were. They thought it was, was my rugby background and you know the experience I've, I've had with drills and sort of physical sort of confrontation and that sort of it, it would have come quite easily, and it, and it just wasn't. And how and, far before your when you talked about that crisis and that collapse that you had was I that was pretty months away from that? So oh, was, so still well, quite away. Yeah, still away. So and I talk about you know, burnout doesn't happen overnight. Mm. I'd, I'd been probably and and you can we talk about the five stages of burnout. Um, and the, the, the fourth and fifth stage are when you are at at rock bottom. And you can hum along in rock bottom for, for years, and I did. And all the symptoms there are, you know, really pronounced. And I, and I had been, I'd been coping, I'd been going to work, and I, but I'd, I'd just been, you know, all my, took all my energy to turn up and still be effective um, and, and safe at work. Everything else was slowly crumbling around me. And it was when, that, that, that one moment when I collapsed and I physically collapsed so a, so what happened with that you said that you were taking a phone call yeah so i was taking a phone call um there was a couple of things that were asked and that just seemed to be the trigger um i don't remember much about the next two weeks to be honest um i my, my, my friend next thing i know they were at my car they, they'd been 40 minutes away five minutes later they were stood by my car got me out got me home um i called and work i made, made up an excuse about, about something the next day, I had to say, look, actually, no, it's a bit more than that. I'm going to need some. I need need some time. No, nobody was nobody was surprised. They all knew what I've been going through. They all knew the issues that I've had. So nobody was surprised at all that I I finally tipped over. Um, there'd been one particular incident at work um, in regards to looking for a missing person that had um, probably been the, the the final straw. It wasn't the, it wasn't the the, the the big thing, but it was probably just just, just the final straw. And so there's a lot of support came in around that incident. Um, and I've got sort of vague memories of what went on, but you know, it was two weeks where I, I think it felt like about three days. And I remember sitting at home, not being able to sleep, not being able to eat. Everything was just in an in, influx. And it wasn't until after two weeks when everything finally stopped that I just crashed. And then like I say, the sleep hit. And you know, I had another week where I just, just rested and then came up for air and went, right, I don't know what just happened to me, um, but that was particularly unpleasant, and I never want to experience that again. And that's when I, that's when the journey started. And like I said, we, a few things were spoken about, got put in front of someone, and it wasn't until burnout was diagnosed a few, a few months later that everything made sense. And how comfortable are you with the word burnout? I, I always feel like, it minimizes some of the symptoms and just how horrific it is because on some spectrum burnout can just be that those early stages the being tired the not sleeping perhaps not feeling refreshed or having mild anxiety but then you look at the extreme to what your body was kind of shutting down and those physiological um symptoms were huge like do you feel burnout encompasses it or is that just a you're happy with that it's an easy way to explain what happened i think burnout is probably a you know, and, and it's difficult. I mean, I, I, we, we had an input into, into into a police force a couple of months ago, and a lot, of, and you know, with, with the webinar, a lot of feedback we had back was sort of people were asking about, you know, what about CPTSD, what about PTSD, what about anxiety, what about everything else, and I just think there's so much an overlap with all the, you know, there's all these different diagnoses, but the symptoms are pretty fundamentally the same. And the, the, the treatment in, in regards to how you deal with it, how you process your trauma, because burnout is all about not dealing with stress. It's about sort of stress. And 
it's how you how you process it, how you recover from it, how you how you and how you get and how you get effective rest. And then rest is is the key there, because stress isn't a problem. We and we all we all need stress. Stress is what propels us forward. It's what makes us who we are. It's what you know, if, if we're looking to move on, can we, you, you can't you can't achieve anything without without experiencing stress. And it's about managing it is the um, is the key. And how do you know when that normal stress, and I'm saying that from, I mean, we come from professions where we haven't really chosen an easy life, have we? Like, we want days to be different. We want challenges. But how do you differentiate between that normal stress to when it is coming to burnout? We talk about, um, and I think the key to it is not so much about the stress, because we can't eliminate stress in our lives, especially if you want if you want the things we want. If you want, if you want the, you know, the, the, the kudos for a nice job, you want the nice lifestyle. You need to be able to experience it and cope with stress. What it is, it's about um, how you how you rest, how you recover from it, is the um, is, is the is the absolute key to it. And it's also understanding that at different stages of your life, you'll have different tolerances to it as well. So it's understanding that we can't be running at one hundred percent, one hundred percent of the time. We need to understand that these our, our resilience levels come in waves, and they they're entirely dependent on. A whole range of things. It can be, you know, you can have a little, a little bit of ill health can, can can affect it. It's understanding that we all react differently to different situations. It's understanding your triggers um, and making sure that we're able to sort of um, get over these, these little bumps and, and push forward. But a lot of it is about sort of self awareness and, and just being able to, and, and you know, and, and being being gentle on yourself as well. Just understanding that you know, we're not expected to be at one hundred percent. That we can take we take we can take a step back. And that we and we and it's it's a healthy thing to be doing. And tell us a little bit about how you recovered. You've said about this really acute two weeks that you had, and then you came out of the other side. Was that just your because of the time and the rest that you'd had? And then how did you move forward from that? Yeah, well, I mean, moving forward, I mean, say it's been nearly three years. It probably took me two years to get a proper handle around everything that went on, and it was a, it was a slow process. It was and it, it, it had been a, a quite a slow one as well it wasn't and, and i talk about recovery there's never a um a crack of thunder and a bolt of lightning that comes down and all of a sudden everything's fine it really is and, and it's about coming back from you know it's like if you, if you broke your leg um it's about coming back from you know a catastrophic injury like that and making sure that you get all, all the little bits in place right that you, you that you're you're not sort of trying to go out and run a marathon six weeks after you've broken your leg you know that you've um you, you take that time first to rest to give it that six weeks in a cast just for everything to you know to come pull back together again and mend, and then to slowly sort of start understanding what your limits are, um, but also understanding what broke your leg in the first place, you know, and 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 understanding that you you can't be doing that. But big thing that people don't talk about enough as well is that if you do get it right, um, the opportunity there for post traumatic growth is is immense. Um, and like I say, and and, bo- and broken bones are the perfect analogy because if you heal a bone properly. Where it's broken is the strongest part, and it won't break again. If you if you put any more stress on that part of your body, it won't break where the break was. It'll break on on either side of it. So, while it was horrific, and you know it was tough at the time, the you know, the opportunities for, opportunities for growth that are there are, um, are are immense. And how long did it take you? You said mentioned like two years. I mean, did you go back to work? fairly soon after that did you feel some pressure to get back or were you able to take the time that you needed um i think i mean the first thing i talk about is um is, is false peaks the, the only pressure to go back to work was pressure put on myself because you know you've you've got a reputation you have a professional reputation 
you know, I was, I was, you know, I was, I was a father. I needed to make sure that, you know, throughout the entire time, I was also, you know, my, my children were still with me when they, were, when they were with me. So just stopping and going home and collapsing in a, in a wet heap in my mother's front room was, just wasn't an option because, you know, first thing is she lives 12,000 miles away. So, you know, that, that wasn't an option. So I had to work it out myself. So, yeah, the, the pressure was, was from myself. Um, and, there, and when I talk about false peaks, I did go back and I went back too soon. I thought that after that that time off, everything, all the symptoms subsided, but the issues were still there. So it wasn't until I went off the second time, um, a few months later, that as soon as I went back, nothing had been addressed. There were still the issues you know, around, my, around my triggers, around the stuff that had, you know, stuff that had gone on over the last sort of you know, four or five years. So once all that sort of started getting addressed, then everything else became easier. And the, the big thing though that caused the issues was that the initial focus was on what had happened at work. Was in, they were they were pegging the, um, the the collapse to stresses at work, and they weren't the problem. It was everything that was going on outside of work that needed to be sorted out, and that's where the work needed to come in in regards to relationships, um, boundaries, um, and, and and all those things. And once that got right, I was able to. So when I was off work, I was getting things right. The rest was going in, the, the proper rest. I was, you know, a bit of self-care, looking after myself. So when I was going back into work, everything else was, I'm not, not saying it's easy because these jobs are never easy, but they were, you know, I was back to, back to where I should have been professionally. And what sort of support did you get or did you get any in terms of sorting out when you mentioned about those kind of personal challenges and boundaries and things? Did you get help with those? I did. Um, the, and again, the big moment that came for me and... <clears throat> It's, again, it's, it's a massive cliche that, we, that gets thrown out there. But they talk about that, you know, you, you you are responsible for your own recovery. Nobody is coming. The only person that can, I mean, there's all the support gets thrown in. Um, but it's like going to a, you know, it's like walking to a gym. You know, there'd be a PT there. They can set you a program. You can have all the equipment in the gym. But if you haven't got the the desire or the motivation to want to actually go and do the work yourself, then it's it's it's, it's a waste of time. So for me, it was a moment where, yeah, you know, some support had come in. I was sort of looking there and going there, and people were talking to me. And I had appointments and everything, but I just had this, this this moment of clarity where I just thought this this is nuts. I've spent 16 years where I've been the person that people pick the phone up and, and turn up. You know, I was, you know people in crisis you know, they, they were calling me. Two, you know, the amount of conversations I've had at two o'clock in the morning, you know, on on motorway bridges, railway lines, um, you know bathroom floors with, with people in absolute crisis and they've picked the phone up, you know, pushed the three buttons and I was the one turning up. And I just realised to myself that the person I needed was already there. And, that, that, you know, that, that was me and I needed to be the one that took the takes responsibility for it. And just like when we talked about your the warning signs that you had, were they ones that you could recognise in those people that you had supported in the community? Like, what are, are there any common themes that you could pick out? Yeah, absolutely. The emotional dysregulation just has been all over the place. Um, not really been able to concentrate on any any one thing. Being really emotionally triggered as well. You know, talking about sort of um, the, you know, when you when you when you're coming into stressful situations your reaction to stress. You know, we talk about sort of the four instinctive reactions, you know, your fight, flight, freeze. But the other one is um fawn that people don't talk about as well. So obviously as a policeman, you know, you're turning up to, you know, a lot of things when people have you know, lost it. Um, and that's generally a stress reaction, typically when they choose the, the, the fight reaction. Um, 
And then when you turn up, sometimes it's the flight reaction. So you've got a bit of a foot chase as well. Um, but the other one that um, we, we talk about is the um, is the fawn. And the fawning takes looks a lot like people pleasing. So when you're emotion dysregulated and you've got no reserves left, you know, you'll do anything you can to avoid any sort of conflict, any sort of difficult conversations, any awkward conversations. So, and what can happen is when people are in recovery, are still relying on those stress responses. So when they're sat in front of someone, bosses, anyone of authority or that, they aren't in any, any position to be sort of to be challenging anything that, that's not quite right or so that they tend to sort of just be pulled through the process. You know, they'll go to the appointments, they'll sit there, they'll, they'll nod, they'll agree. But even though they know that actually what, what's been spoken about probably isn't quite what they need, that they don't want to rock the boat because to have those conversations will just take just takes too much emotional energy. Yeah, I recognise that from like my dealings with the um, medical professions when I was going through my burnout and I wasn't getting the answers and I was just kind of accepting that, knowing that this wasn't psychological, there was something physiologically wrong with me and my body was shutting down. And now looking back, now I'm out of that and recovered, I'm like, why wasn't I banging on the door and why wasn't I doing more to challenge it? But at the time, I was just accepting what I was being told by those in, like, had the power. How easy or difficult was it with your kind of communicating that you needed help and accepting help is this something that the police service was really geared to offer you that or was it something that was going against the culture like you expect to be strong and like you're saying even the ones on one on the end of the phone helping these people yeah i mean the 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 police service is no different to any other big organization whether it's nhs um whether it's you know the the prison service whether it's any you know large cps there's obviously all the structures in place um but and again it, it does come down to you know that 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 first and second line manager that you're speaking to and and, and it's not a police issue it's just a, it's just a, a people issue anyone you speak to everyone's got their own different interpretation of what's going on sometimes you have managers have experienced themselves they've got a little bit of empathy what's going on other managers have never experienced it they just they just don't understand that's not any a fault of theirs or a fault of the police's this is just how things are you know we, we you can have as you know you, you can have reams and reams and reams of policy documents and that's fine you can you know, just, you know and what what big organizations like is they like a, a, they like a good policy they like to make sure that you're you know you're staying within policy um but what that does it takes away the um the, the, the interpersonal element to it and it, it's difficult because you can't you can't expect someone to be able to understand exactly what's going on with, with everyone um and everyone comes at it from diff- different different positions with different experiences and then just tell us a little bit how you said that you went back to work a little bit early in the police. And then how did you get from leaving the police and doing what you do now? So, yeah, so I came back a little bit too early. Um, and to be fair, they, 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 they were making sure that I was OK. But I generally thought I was OK because all the symptoms had subsided. The physical right. symptoms or yeah, the, all the, of the them. The physical symptoms mm. had subsided. There wasn't, that, you know, there wasn't everything spinning around. But what happened was... I, Back into the environment again, you know, back into dealing with the other interpersonal relationships, and the same thing started happening again. And I had the same poor coping techniques, I had the same poor coping mechanisms, I was having the same instinctive stress responses. So everything started stacking up again. But this time, I recognised it early with with a few things. I mean, actually, I'm not, I'm not right. I need to, you know, I, I need to take some more time and, and do it properly. Um, and, and like I say, the, the police were good. They 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 understand that. You know. So I was able to. I was also fortunate that um, we talk about um, 
we have, we have trauma, we have a post-traumatic sort of um, debrief to make sure that everything's sort of getting processed. And it can be hit and miss who, who, who you speak to with, with, with your trim practitioner as well. I was fortunate enough to have a, a guy that I spoke to who was ex-services, and he had had his initial trim um, training um, in the military. Um, and he, he, he did, had a couple of tours in Afghan and you know, he had a lot of experience with you know, work, working with men, so a, a little more empathetic with, with who I was and what, what was going on and was able to speak sort of quite frankly and bluntly with me and you know, we were able to speak a lot more openly. So, yeah, so I went off and I had, it was um, about seven weeks this time. And then during that time, I also was adamant that I wasn't just going to sit on my sofa and, you know, I was going to make sure I was going to use the time productively. And that's when I started digging in and working out what was going on. And, you know, and I was having, I was, I was having sessions with someone. So I was asking a lot of questions, you know, and it wasn't just sat there this time sort of you know, nodding along and saying, yes, 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 of course. You know, I was asking questions. I was making sure I was sort of getting a bit of, bit of comprehension about what was going on. And yeah, then, I, then I went back and everything was fine. I was you know, a lot more you know, trauma aware um, what I was doing. Um, we, we speak about being able to put that pause between sort of stimulus and your response when something happens to you and, and being able to take a step back and take in a, um, you know, an objective view of what's happening. When you, when, you, when you feel the emotions inside of you, being able to understand what they are and why, why they've happened. Um, and rather than just sort of reacting it to them, being able to step back. So actually, I was probably my most effective in those years after I, I came back as a, as a police officer and what I was doing, decision-making, um, how I was managing my workload and, and the rest of it. But then it got to a point where, and we talk about the post-traumatic growth, where I just realised it was just time to move on. I'd, I'd done my time. There wasn't anything anymore in the police that I was particularly interested in doing, any particular roles all the roles I wanted to do, I'd, I'd done, or was doing. Um, I wasn't interested in promotion. Um, so yeah, and it was then I started looking around for something else to do, and you know, yeah, yeah, and, and here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and so, who who is it that you support? Is it people? I'm guessing away from the police. It's not specifically for those uh, former officers. Like who who do you support, and and what is it that you can offer for people? Okay, so profession, professional man is, is is what I'm is is what, what, what my niche is. What I'm looking at looking at, um, and only because it's you know it's a demographic that I know because it's, it's who I was and who I who I am. Um, it's not saying oh, I can't work with anybody else, but I work with people on, on two different levels. So we're talking about sort of um, burnout prevention. So anyone that's recognised the signs in themselves that wants to prevent and, 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 is, and is struggling. Because like I say, the big thing I'd also talk about is that burnout is the affliction. It's not the affliction of the, um, of the weak. It's the affliction of the strong. Because in order to get to a point where you're burning out, you need to have been experiencing and, and, and coping with it for years. Um, and anyone that's whose resilience has got, you know, the, the breaking strain of a, you know, of a, of a twig. The first little bit of issues that come along, they tend to fall over and, and that's it. And then, you know, just don't deal with it at all. But burnout, you need to have been operating at a, at a pretty decent level for a decent level of time before it'll happen. So you've already got something about something about you. You're already operating at a level where you need to be on on, on your game. You're making decisions. You're, you're having to be you know, you're, you're a responsible role. So, and then what, what people are finding is when they are burning out that, you know, their the professional capacity is, is, is reduced. They're finding that they just don't have time when, they, when they're coming home to be themselves anymore. 
So th- those sorts of guys that, 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 that recognise that themselves, and then people obviously that have burnt out, and have hit the wall, have had to take time off, and have come back, understand that they don't want to go back to that again, but aren't quite sure how to maximise their, 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 their what's happened to them to, to make sure it doesn't. And I guess the the optimum would be that nobody gets to that stage, that we can avoid it before it becomes Absolutely. a problem. And and what oh, are the sort of yeah. practical things that we can do to to do that? And I'm thinking specifically like spotting it in other people that we know as well. Yeah, and again, spotting it. I mean, you know, you've been through burning itself. So it's like, you know, it's like buying a car. Once you buy a certain type of car, all of a sudden you start noticing that car all the time. And it's and it's interesting. I've had this conversation before with, with, with guys. All of a sudden, once you've been through it yourself, signs and symptoms and the, the, the mannerisms are, are really, really obvious for people. Um, and you're quite right. It's all about prevention is much, much better than the cure. And and my mission really is just to sort of to, to raise awareness because, you know, it's there are some really, really simple interventions. And just with a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of an idea about how you operate and how stress affects you and how you can mitigate it can just make all the difference what we're doing. Because we're not talking about avoiding stress and we're not talking about you know, taking a step back from your role. What we're talking about is making sure that you can deal with it so that you can excel in what you're doing. So you are able to push through with those promotions, with your performance and, and, and carry on. So this isn't about giving everything up and going living on a on a, in a, in a cave on a hillside and, you know, <laughs> growing your own tofu and sort of and, and all that. This is about being able to operate on a, on a, on a decent level, managing, you know, high levels of stress and, 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 and coping and surviving. And what other sort of cope? Because I, you mentioned about that you felt like you had poor coping techniques and strategies when you went back to work so quickly. Like, what are the poor coping strategies, and what are the ones that we can develop and try and use? It's really about um, making sure that you are able to switch off, making sure that when you you, you are able you, that you understand that you, you know, and I spoke about the three parts of your life: your professional, your, your social, and your personal. Making sure that you're able to compartmentalize those so that you know, all, all the stress and the issues from one aren't being dragged into the other. You know, it's, it's keeping those boxes nice and clear. And and it does take a, a conscious effort, to, you know, to, to be able to do that. Um, and it's not easy. And it's not something that, can, again, it's not something you can flick a switch. It happens overnight. But you need to be aware of that. It's also about being aware of, of what rest is and making sure you're getting effective rest. And I'll speak about that in a, um, a couple of posts that I've had on, online. And there's, I mean, there's seven types of rest. And the first type is your, um, your physical rest. And of that, sleep is only half of that. Now, that's your um, that's your active rest. But you've got your passive rest as well. And you, you talk about sort of, you know, yoga, you're relaxing, you've been able to switch off and, and that. And it's about working. And it's also, you know, it's work, about working out what you need to recharge and what makes you what makes you hum. And you mentioned about the, yeah, the boundaries and things and like, how do we develop those boundaries between the professional and the social and the uh, personal life? Like, I'm just thinking particularly in lockdown when suddenly people were working from home and everything became quite blurred and we seem to be sort of coming out of that now, but maybe those boundaries are a little blurred still. Yeah, lockdown was a massive one. I'm hearing a lot from, and I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to businesses that are now, you know, they've gone from, and, and in particular, um, more um, firms that have you know, gone from the traditional sort of law environment where you're in office, or you billable hours, you know, the, the, the partners have got the expectations that you'd work the hours they worked when they were juniors, juniors, junior solicitors. Um, 
And then all of a sudden, everyone went to working from home. And they found that half the people found they quite liked working from home and they quite liked that flexibility. And the other half of people found they actually quite liked leaving home and, and going into the office and having that you know demarcation between sort of you know, trying to work with the kids around you and, and everything else. So there's a we're in, a we're in a real state of flux at the moment where there's a real emphasis being placed on, um, you know, we talk about hybrid working and hybrid working not being one or the other, but working out what works for the individual and sort of starting to understand that, you know, one system doesn't, doesn't fit all. And it's again, and when we talk about what works for you, it's about understanding that you don't have to be, you know, put into a certain box and, and, and expect to work at your, at your optimum from there. And it's about working out where you pull your energy from. You know, some some people. I had this conversation with a um with a friend of mine who's a um, basically a training manager with a large um solicitors firm down here in the southwest, and they've tentatively given a department a you know hybrid working, and they're saying they're not particularly bothered about when and how and where you work as long as each month you're producing X amount of billable hours. Um, some of them are finding they quite like working at twelve-hour hints. You know, they'll 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 do three or four days and just smash it, and then do nothing for three or four days. Others are finding actually doing five or six hours a day for seven days works for them. That's how they that's how they work, and um, we're just holding. They're just keeping a little bit of a watching brief on at the moment just to see if um, you know they've only given a very very small department that that, that freedom because they, yeah. but it's it's going to be interesting. And I think another couple of months they'll, they'll um, you know there would have been probably three or four bidding cycles into it, and they'll they'll be able to see you know if the, if the quality of works picked up or dropped or so it'll be interesting. I feel my anxiety rising when you're talking about the billable oh. hours and me having to record every six minutes of my time for 14 oh, years. No. <laughs> like, no. could we not just get away from the billable hours and just yeah, do sorry. it? <laughs> and, 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 and right there, we're talking about sort of, you know, stresses, you know, you know all of a sudden I'm going to get really, I, I can see you all just getting quite, your shoulders are going up and your, your, your jaw's going a bit, you know, you, you, yeah. <laughs> I think it was just that, it's just that focus on productivity and it took me a while to undo that when I left law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, 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 you know, and, and, it's, and, it's, and it's not for everyone, mm. it really isn't. And I think a lot of people also, and, you, know, and the, the, you know, people do have to, you know, these epiphanies, they have these conversations with themselves, they get to a point where they think, actually, this is not where I want to be. You know, what, 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 you know when, I, when I was in my 20s after I left university, you know, I, I chose a certain profession and you know, that's how I saw myself, you know, whether it was law or medicine or or, or, or teaching or whatever it was. And I, and I saw myself as a, you know, in 20 years' time as a, as a head teacher, as a partner, as a, as a consultant. And all of a sudden, they get to an age where that's just not their priority anymore. But they, they, they're caught on that conveyor. They're, they're still feeling themselves being pulled through the system and there's still those expectations that they need to be hitting those, you know, those, those sort of, career and personal milestones when their heart's just not in it anymore. Yeah and I think one of the things that I used to look around at other lawyers particularly in my area of work it was feeling that other people could cope and this was a personal failure that I was getting experiencing these um, symptoms and burnout when other people weren't and I wondered is that something that you felt or is that something that you feel with your clients? Yeah no exactly that there's always that sort of idea of um not not so much shame but a little bit of embarrassment that why why me why have i tipped up you know when you know i, I work with three or four other you know, people that seem to be coping but the point i would make is that you know those other three or four people have all got vastly different experiences 
you know, you don't know what they're masking as well. I mean, they, they, they you know, especially within the, within the police, you're, you're there and, you know, you've got your own interest at home and, you know, the colleagues that are pushing on have usually got quite settled, stable family lives at home. You know, they've got a wide circle of friends. They're, you know, they're, they're managing everything else outside the job. And also be aware of all those swans, you know, all those people in the office that look like they're on, you know, that actually... Their, their personal life and everything else is as, as big a bin fire as, as your Which own. is probably that that's they yeah. looked at me and thought that she's always on top of her cases and everything's absolutely fine when I felt like a complete mess behind closed doors. Yeah, yeah, no, and that's exactly it. And sometimes the other thing we talk about is when you overcompensate, you, you know, you, you can also develop a, um, a certain obsessiveness about something. And for some people, it's about their work. So, you know, they're at the desk, you know, they're always, you know, first in, last out. Or the other big one is um, exercise. And that was my bag. Oh, so, as an yeah. ultra runner, yes. Yes, no, exactly. <laughs> Let's that, run a hundred mile race and then be back at your desk the next day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That. And it was like you almost just just you know, for me, um, it was my rowing machine. I'd always rowed at um at, at, at high school and at, you know after I left school, I you know, and so I've always had a rowing machine, and especially during lockdown, it's all I had. And at one point there, I was um, seriously considering having a proper tilt at some some national records you get to an age where all of a sudden you're you know all the all the national champs and the, the world champions are sort of retired and you're left with all the vets that are still still, still plodding along and your times are suddenly starting to get quite competitive because all the olympians have retired and um yeah so and again you talk about getting on the own machine and, and and i was at my worst was just smashing myself into the ground i'd go on there do an hour and like a, an hour where i'd be yeah well i probably should have stopped half an hour before but just smashing myself into it and hoping to, you know, and exhausting myself. And what was there any reasons that come up for you behind that? Like in terms of, I think for me, for my running, it was something where I was getting a lot of praise, a lot of kind of, it was something that I could really boost my self-esteem when I felt like the rest of my life was sort of falling away and collapsing. Yeah, what, what do you think was going on there? Because it's definitely something that I see, particularly as a running coach now as well. Yeah, I mean, as a former rugby player, you know, you've got that sort of, you know, that issue about still, you know, maintaining maintaining a certain physique and maintaining a certain look. Um, and so, yeah, so unsurprisingly, sort of spending every day sort of smashed up on a rowing machine, you've gotten quite good neck. Everything's, you know, you're, you're, I was in good shape. And I was still able to go out and um, do all the things I was doing policing-wise. You know, I was, I was still the go-to guy for going through doors or, dealing with difficult sort of characters because I was in the gym every day and I was still fit, strong and, and capable. And, and, you know, a lot of, lot of, lot of kudos that came from that. Yeah. So just, just be, yeah, there's, there's that, so the excessive tendencies, I mean, not saying that they're a bad thing because in certain professions, they're a, you know, they're, they're a real benefit. You know, if you are someone that's you know, sort of um, task focused and, you know, really, really focusing on what, what you're doing in regards to your um, productivity, that's a, that's a great thing to be, to be having, but just understanding that this also can be, you can overcompensate with it as well. Mm. One thing I wanted to ask you, because quite a lot of what we've talked about is really focusing on the individual and how we kind of manage ourselves to avoid this. But I just wondered, is there a time where we can look at systems and institutions and like if you could wave a magic wand at the police, just because I know that you know that area, like are there changes that we can make to support people more in work? I think the biggest change we can make is to be putting it back onto people, putting it back onto personal responsibility. I think we need to be 
my personal opinion is, is that we can't legislate our way out of the situation, out of this crisis that we're in now. We need to be, you know, need to be making sure that we are giving as much information to people, but also saying to them over to you and putting it back onto people so that people aren't sort of fawning and saying, help me, what, what do I do? Making sure this is what you're doing, and these are the tools, here's the understanding. But there also needs to be a recognition that a lot of it starts with, with, with the individual. We, and, they, and they do that by, by moving away from offering support to offering sort of resources and, 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 a, and a, an understanding of what's going on as opposed to, you know, I, I liken it to the, um, to the, to, you know, the, the wellness washing, putting a, um, putting a fruit, a fruit, you know, putting a fruit bowl in the office. It's all very well and good at, you know, offering fruit. But explain why the, um, the fruit's important and, when, and the benefits that it does and, and what it does and, and, and why you're doing it. And I mean, and from a, Professional point of view, I mean, a lot of things that the, um, it's quite topical at the moment, but, um, you know, we used to go to a lot of people in crisis with, you know, with, with people's mental health. And invariably you get, and the first question you ask is, you know, are you under any care? You know, do you have a, um, you know, any, any healthcare professional that's responsible for you? And they, they'll say yes. And then you ask them, you know, have you spoken to the crisis team? And invariably the, the crisis team will get called up at sort of two o'clock in the morning. There'll be, there'll be one person manning a phone call for the county. And they'll say, yes, we called, called the crisis team and they told me to go for a walk. And the usual is either go for a walk, um, make a cup of tea, or have a hot bath. And usually the response we get was, well, you know, what, what, that, that's not going to do me any good. But the problem with what the, the cross team were having is they weren't explaining that what they were trying to do was just interrupt all the intrusive thoughts by getting someone to get up and do something different, by getting up and getting out of the seat and concentrating on doing something else. They were trying to sort of put a, um, a, a, an intervention in place to stop the, um, the, you know, the, the obsessive thoughts of ruminating. But that wasn't explained to anybody. All they were told was, go and have a cup of tea. Like, Quining's put sort of magic powder in their, in their um, tea bags that are going to make everything better. Or you're going to go for a walk and the, the moonbeams are going to somehow sort of, you know. <laughs> yeah, it really minimises yeah. it, doesn't it? Like, yeah. oh, all you yeah. need is a little walk when actually it's yeah. it could be anything that they're suggesting. Yeah, like, mm. yeah. Well, what, what the point was, they weren't explaining why they were, you know. Mm. What, and so what I would do, I'd, I'd explain to them, well, no, they're not, they're not saying make a cup of tea. Tea's not going to make you feel better. You just need to stop getting into, you know, to stop respiring at the moment. And once you'd explain that to people, even people that were particularly unwell, they they got that and they understood it, it probably wasn't enough for what you know they were in, in genuine crisis they needed a bit more input than that but that was the basic sort of the premise of what was going on i think we need to be making sure that when we're offering this advice it needs to be that understanding of why it's been offered and what it does because mm. once you once you work that out everything makes sense yeah it's really empowering isn't it yeah the yeah. other thing that I just wanted to talk about was the retirement and leaving the professions. I mean, it sounds like you've really found almost like a calling and something really productive and gives you such a great sense of self-worth. But I'm just thinking of people that retire, leave professions, particularly like the police, where suddenly it's such a change, isn't it? And you don't have that purpose and that sense of kind of people needing you and your responsibility. And I just wondered if that was something that um, was a real challenging time for people and, yeah, how we could support people in that time. Any period of change is, is difficult. I mean, you know, we talk about retirement, but it can be anything. You know, and that, that can be, and again, we talk about your three phases. The, you, know, you can have massive periods of change in your personal life, you know, massive knock-on effects and what's going on there. I think ultimately with, with people, people like to feel safe. Um, and to feel safe, they need to, you know, they need, they need the familiar. They need to be going along to, you know, the same places every day. And if you look at how you spend your day, 
most of it is around patterns of behavior is around habits what you do when you get up you know what you know how you, how you dress where you, where you keep everything when you go downstairs where everything is in your kitchen it's all familiar and everything sort of um everything sort of rubs along so when especially retirement all of a sudden you've got that massive loss of who you are and what you were doing because going into roles that's a lot of your identity and that's taken away from you and it's not sort of replaced with anything or there's not or you don't really understand just how impactful it is and why you're feeling the way you do that can be really unsettling and that was a massive um massive cue for a lot of people going into crisis that i spent a lot of time sort of working and looking for um you can you look back on it and again it was a big thing with why i work with the guys i work with because they and i was you know half the people are looking for were all guys my age in my situation that um, experienced very very similar issues and the only difference was i was the um the policeman looking for them and they were the ones that were sort of somewhere trying to make sense of you know everything that was going on it wasn't that they were trying to harm themselves that was probably the, the external sort of what, what came across but they were just trying to make sense of everything that was happening mm. thank yeah. you so much it's been really interesting and how can people find out about your work and follow you and see what you're up to in the future um i'm active on social media mainly on linkedin is the main platform i'm on um the one thing my mother gave me was a very, very searchable name. So, <laughs> so I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not, 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 I'm not John Smith or um, Michael <laughs> Jones. Um, if you look for Zane McCormack, um, I'm usually pretty much top of every list that, 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 that comes up. So LinkedIn, um, there will be a website that um, it looks like it'll be going live in the next week or so. Um, but yeah, but again, on LinkedIn, um, yeah, I'm all there. All, all I'd say is if, if anyone wants to speak to you or anything we've spoken about now, just, just reach out. Um, I'm more than happy to jump on calls with people for an hour, just for you know, and just go through stuff. Off, you know, I've got you know, just tips, ideas, bit of uh, bit, bit of insight into what happened with me, and sort of try and make sense of what's going on with them. Mm, thank you so much for offering that, and also for sharing it today. It's been really valuable, I'm sure, for me, but also for others <laughs> as well. <laughs> thank you so much, Zane. Okay, thanks for your time, guys. Thank you for listening to the Resilience Rising podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please do help people find us by hitting subscribe, leaving a review or sharing us with others. Thank you so much and see you next time on the Resilience Rising podcast.